but but yeah I, and but then you also have to make sure not to get people that are um so like disenfranchised with like big tech companies either because then it's like what if we become a medium-sized tech company are they going to just think we're part of the establishment and we're terrible and evil you know it's like that fine line of people that are ambitious that see the big picture but they want to they want to get on a rocket ship that's that has a chance of really taking off What's up, y'all? Kevin and Mike Wagstaff here. Another episode of Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. We tell stories, give lessons learned on our journey going from zero to an eight-figure business. What's up, dude? Nice shirt. Shout out Fastly. Fastly. We don't use them, but (laughs) they hosted an amazing event for Denver Startup Week, gave us bacon-wrapped scallops and a shirt, and I love the shirt. Same, same. I always rock that in the Send Grid shirt. (laughs) <laughs> How's it going, man? Lots, lots of, lots of shit flying around on our front. What's up? Oh, busy week, a lot going on. Um, biggest thing is one of our, our biggest competitor um, has hinted at saying they're going to go free with the support of the biggest association in our clients industry. So obviously that's something that we're going to be working through some that we thought was coming, but we're still going to be working through a lot of how we react, see how our client base reacts and um, decide how that alters our strategy going forward. What a test, right? It's like uh, other industries when like Google comes in and becomes a player or Facebook is like, oh yeah, we have this feature now. It's scary. It makes you, it forces you to get creative, um, forces you to really stress test your value. Oh, and we didn't mention this competitors owned by a, you know, $3 billion plus insurance company. And so we're seeing um, big money, uh, come into our space. We're going to have to compete. We're still intending to continue as a bootstrap company. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. It's something that I'm sure we'll keep uh, updates coming here on the podcast. Yeah. We'll consolidate our thoughts. That's going to be a great, uh, that'll be a whole nother episode talking about all the things we're weighing because uh, yeah, it stretches your mind. It makes you think about other total different ways to run the business funding. I mean, it's crazy to think about anyway. Yeah. Um, cool. Any, what else, any other current events that are on top of your mind? You know, a little bit of, uh, employee, uh, turnover happening in our ranks. Like we had years where nobody ever quit. We, you know, everybody was like very on board. And as we've grown now, we've gotten to a stage of the company where, yeah, it it feels a little different. Do you, do you agree? Yeah. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is turnover and churn for, you know, this can happen to you you know, a month in a year in for your first employee or like us years in where you start to have people, uh, the law of numbers, I think when you have people quit, leave things happen in life and, uh, it's not easy to deal with You know, you think initially that you're going to run this company that no one will ever leave and everyone's going to, you know, ride it out. And that's just kind of a, it's kind of a pie in the sky vision for it. So we've been, kind of checking ourselves. And there's a couple, I had a couple notes on this of, uh, of a recent experience with one of our folks that's leaving for another job that I wanted to go through and just a, the way I thought about it after we kind of had that talk. So first, um, I think the work that needs to be done is well ahead of when some, before someone quits, I think of being a leader that's approachable. So I think this starts when they onboard the month, the days, the weeks, the months, they connect with you, that you make yourself available all the time. And then when they come to you, 
you're open and you listen to them. I think that's a core value of ours, right? We prioritize good lines of communication with everybody on our team among all the team members that we have. Um, Cause yeah. And, and also, I think we also prioritize saying, Hey, we want to do what's best for any of our employees, anybody in our team. We want to make sure that we're fostering and nurturing them along their career path. And for some that could be with us for years for others, it may not be. And we also want to be just very open and transparent about that. Cause that's how life works, right? There's only so many spots that um, for leaders in this company. And for those that are like very aggressive and growing their career path, there might not be a spot if somebody is doing a little bit better than them. And so we want to make sure that it's just a transparent conversation, not a surprise to us, some that we can prepare, plan around. And yeah, we've had some people quit on very great terms and we've had some people quit where it's kind of like, oh, that didn't go very well. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's always going to be a little awkward, but it can be the least amount of awkward. Um, cause we had the, uh, the team member that that's leaving this week, um, basically just said, Hey, you got time to catch up the vague Slack message. I'm just like, I think I know what's coming here. You know, you know, what's happening. And and she was so nervous. But then once she told me and I said, that's great. I'm happy for you. You're making a decision that sounds best for you. And, uh, and you know, I, I wish you the best. I can't hate on that. And I asked about it. I was curious and I was genuinely excited. And so I think that's hard to fake. And I think when someone leaves, you have to just be happy for them. And you can't have that self-centered view of this is the cult. You're break, you're leaving the cult and you're going to, you know, you're breaking the bond that we had. It's, it's not that serious and life doesn't work that way. And, and let's be real. Obviously there's stresses on our side of, okay, that means some team members going to have to work a little bit harder under a little bit more stress for a while. That means we need to do all these things that we weren't planning on doing, like more interviews, more shadow days, getting more people in place than we anticipated. And that's all stressful. How do you, as a business, as a business owner, kind of think about that and know that that's maybe just part of the process and you have to know that's it's, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like this will probably happen to you with some consistency over the course of a business. Right. Yep. And constantly remembering that like they, not everyone will see the vision. Like we see the vision, not everyone sees the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we see. And that's okay. It, it doesn't make them foolish. It doesn't make them naive. It doesn't make them dumb. It, it, none of that. It's just different because they're at a different phase in their life and they don't own the company. So how can you expect someone to see, you know? And so I think that's where that, that's where I think founders could take it personally. That's where like, I think I maybe did in the past even of what, how could you not see this, you know, this opportunity, this vision, this, the whole thing. And they're just like, dude, I'm just trying to like pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. Incentivization is this huge thing, right? Where you, you know, as, as, um, company owners, we want to pay people well, and that's, you know, that's different for each person. And now that we're a remote company that might be different for different localities, LA lifestyle is a very different lifestyle than Nebraska, right. And how we pay what we do with our limited resources. That's a really hard decision in terms of like, well, should we pay somebody more just cause they're in LA? Maybe, maybe not depends on the person. Right. And, um, and then, yeah, incentivization, people don't have profit sharing or equity in the company, which we do grant to people after they've been here and proven themselves, mm-hmm. but they don't have that yet. There's not as much incentivization for them to believe in the big picture vision They're, You know, let's face it. Most people are not thinking about that. I know I wasn't when I was yeah. 
20s, early 30s, it was like, eh, I got to pay the bills, have some fun, do the things I want to do, not think how do I make a you know massive company. Yeah, we're wired for short-term thinking in general. I think that's natural. I think we all try to defer things to think long-term future, but that's just no, that's just normal. So the other thing I thought about was the insecurities that come up um, as founders. So like, I want to just like dig into those. So like the first one um, that I wrote down was like, not, not good enough of a leader. You know, if, uh, if someone it's like looking within, instead of just telling someone, Oh, they're stupid. They don't understand the vision. No, it, it, the natural inclination is like, Oh, maybe we're not a leader worth following, you know, break that down for us. Like, tell me, like specifically, you know, what, what happened when who, whichever person it was quit, like what you felt right there. Yeah. So it, it, it immediately it was like, man, did I not spend enough time with them to inspire them to, to kind of, to let them know this is a path that could change their, you know, change their economics, change their finances for the rest of their life. And, and all this fulfillment that I am seeing that I have seen from other people how did I not convey that? How did I not basically spend enough time is what I, I first thought of. It came down to of like, man, you can only, it's like having 20 kids. It's like, you can only spend one on, you can only hit the baseball with one of them so often and so much. Yeah. Gosh, I, I know on the engineering side, you know, I've had what a couple engineers quit and over the last couple of years and yeah, you wonder like, Oh, did I give them like, too many kind of boring projects in a row or stuff that I didn't feel like we're really like going to move the business. Cause we weren't like quite there yet. Did we not nurture them enough? Did we not show them like the career path Were they um, feeling ill-equipped to handle stuff? Or in our case, was it, were people too isolated where they're just heads down working on the project, not feeling as much a part of the bigger team. Like all of those emotional dynamics are really hard to keep track of when, you have a couple dozen people all doing different things and you're trying to think about where you're going. And, um, that's why, yeah, I think the frequent constant communication, transparent communication with, with everybody on the team is so important. Or if you get to the size where that's impossible, you need to have leaders in place that will have those conversations. And so, yeah, you should probably only be talking to five or six people individually. And then more than that, create layers, create, I guess the need for middle management, right? I, we're still in the messy middle. And that's what that, that's what that reminds me of is like, we're still, we're, we're still doers. We're still the doer of a lot of tasks and that just fractures the week. That's less time to maybe meet with another person or to meet with leaders and there's casualties in that. And so it's, you know, I know we're trying on the, you know, the, the Steve jobs or Gavin Belson hats of trying to be the visionaries and, and uh, inspiring people. And so there's going to be insecurity. I think when we're still building those muscles and someone leaves, it's like, oh man, they didn't, they don't feel what this other person feels. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing, right? Where, yeah, we've hired folks that, wow, they just really buy into the vision. They're just like, Hey, I'm with you guys, like ride or die, let's go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then they've worked, they've worked hard. They've just seen the raises, they've seen profit sharing, they've seen equity, all those things. And then it just keeps becoming this virtuous cycle of here's more responsibilities. Here's a new title. Here's, you know, people to work under you. And that's awesome to see. And, and then there's others where, yeah, after a few months in, they're just like, yeah, you know, this doesn't feel like the right thing for me. What do you, like, what kind of lessons have you taken from that? Like when it comes to what the hiring process, early screenings, like what are you, how are you processing it? Well, when I think of the, the interview process, I've been doing a bunch of interviews lately. I, 
I try to, re- I try to like really get in the moment more to hear, uh, you almost have to read behind what people are saying and like feel the passion or, or lack of passion, or, you know, authenticity of what they're saying, which is really hard. Cause that's just like your read or your biases, whatever going to go into play there. So to me, it's, we talk, I'm going straight to like values and where people get their values from or where they think uh, being a team, a great team player, they just talk about um, how they just have this burning desire to do this someday. I'm like, where does that come from? Where do you think that comes from? And we try and dig into that more as opposed to tell me about what you did at this last job. So it's like those deeper meaning conversations. It's like, I suck at them still. I'm trying to like get to those quicker in a first interview to really feel something. And then if not, it's kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe a good second interview will bring it out. But if not. Yeah. I mean, we've done a lot of work in the last few months on saying, all right, let's make sure we're clear on what our company values are. How do we craft questions in the interview process to get at those company values? And then how do we not feel robotic? How do we like be very present and attuned and dig deeper when people are telling us about this? And like, yeah, some of the most touching interviews where we're like, wow, now I see you. Now I see who you are come from when it's, yeah, just kind of ad hoc, just going off. Oh, okay. You're a hard worker. Let's talk about that. And then they get into their parents and struggles of like a immigrant parents or something like that. And how they had to learn how to like work hard and overcome obstacles. And then you see somebody for who they are. And that gives you, then, you know, whereas I think if you can't break that surface level in an interview where it feels just like a routine or pretty interview man that's that's where it's really tough to make decisions and i think we've had some of each yeah i want i'm also paying better attention to people's reaction when i give them kind of the two minute vision vision casting talks i'm getting like my couple hundred reps in you know because each person i'm like let me tell you a little bit about spectora and where we're going like our history lesson you know in a minute each a minute of history a minute of where we see the moonshot going and and then it's like Here's how you could play a role in that. Here's how you fit into that vision. How they react to that, I'm paying more and more attention to. What are you looking for? Excitement, an an understanding of what I just said to them, as opposed to like, oh, that's cool. So what are the hours again? Like, (laughs) what kind of benefits do you guys have? You know, is versus, wow. One, you know, one was like, I can tell you have so much energy and excitement around that. And I, I can literally see what you're talking about. Like, yeah, the real estate process is broken yeah, I just needed someone to fix my dishwasher last week. I totally get that. And like all affirming that they understand what I just said. And I'm trying to get better at the way I say it to the average person can understand kind of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So, um, the other, another insecurity I had down, not enough vision, which we just talked about of like, are we not articulating it enough, deep enough, clear enough, um, to where it's just confusing to someone mm-hmm. and then they're never going to tell you, you know, no one goes to the CEO and he's like, Hey man, your, your, your vision isn't too clear. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> That's something that we we're just getting reps in on. Cause for a while it was just like some scribbles in a notebook from five years ago of like the different phases of our business unfolding from like a niche SaaS all the way up to like a global household name. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, we're very clear, I think with how we get there, how we articulate it is getting better over time. Yeah. Exactly. So that's insecurity, uh, under pain. I think you referenced, you mentioned that a minute ago, but like, yeah, immediately once more than one person kind of, you know, leaves or goes down and references compensation, it makes everyone look within and say, huh, you know, okay, are we on the low? And then we did our research 
that we feel, I feel like we always go back to the research and the data. How did it's you feel so about that? Yeah. What, how did you think about the money thing instantly? Yeah. It's a work in progress because I think for a while, like the first few years, it felt like we knew what to offer. We'd get candidates that, that were good and everybody just came in and worked. And then we just would pro- proactively give raises and somebody was doing well. And it felt like we had a good grasp on what market rates were when we were, you know, a bunch of people in Denver working together. And when you're trying to get product market fit, you're selling partly a dream and a vision. And so like, if there is any gap or difference, right, people are like, okay, I understand that I'm, I'm like taking a concession here for the future growth of the company. Yeah. You know, and I think we, you know, we were like, yeah. And you know, you work for a year and you're eligible for equity and you know, it felt like it was just generally working. We didn't have any turnover. Everybody was just like, cool. I'm here. I I think right around COVID is when I felt like when COVID hit, like in March of last year um, and we had like our first big departure senior engineer and it felt like something different was going on. And, you know, I think the reasons that he left were, were like, yeah, he wants to work at a bigger company, see how things worked in bigger teams. And that all made a ton of sense, but there was still that question of, Oh, if we had paid him more, would he have stuck around? I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. And then you do your research, you go on Glassdoor, you do, you know, but it's hard, right? You, it's a very hard thing to know what the exact things are that should toggle that up or down. Um, of course, then we open up our company to hiring everywhere. We start hiring people on the East Coast, on the West Coast, throughout the, the Midwest. Um, we've hired some engineers in Central and South America. And we're always trying to get a gauge of what makes sense for us. How can we be able to pay them and feel comfortable? How do they feel rewarded and like adequately valued? And man, sometimes there's discrepancies there, right? <laughs> and some advice, some prominent, you know, some really smart people out there say like the money doesn't matter. Like if, if they, if they reference money, it's because your vision is strong enough. You're not giving responsibilities, your culture is bad. And then some people say, well, yeah, money matters. It's, it's literally the currency in which we live by and make decisions, you know, with, so I get so pulled back and forth sometimes when it comes up. Cause it's just like, what's deeper. If there was purpose, if there was feeling part of a team and community, maybe money matters less sometimes. Yeah. How do you process that? Because obviously, you know, we, before we uh, started this, we've had jobs. We've had, you know, I, I was a contractor. I would kind of raise my rates and there was probably certain jobs where I was like, oh, you're not willing to pay that hourly rate? Okay, no thanks. How do you process that when, because um, you've had jobs where you've gotten raises, salary bumps. How, how do you view it now that you're a company owner, an employer, and people are like, hey, I think I am entitled to more money here. First of all, yeah, that's a great question. I love our culture of like, or shifting culture, moving towards transparency around money. We're just trying to get better at talking about it. So that's exciting to me because I worked at Charles Schwab for six years where you talked about it once a year and then you got your little raise and there was no big company vision. It was just straight corporate. Like you punch the clock, you do your job. Share a little bit about what that means, like transparency around money, talking about it. Like what's, how does that look specifically? In check-ins, I think we even made it a structured question. I don't know if we, how we stick to it most of the time of how are you feeling about your compensation compared against what you're giving to the company or the value you're bringing to the company, something like that. Um, and it opens up the compensation talk. And, it, and if you do it month after month, quarter after quarter, 
they might say, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. And but eventually it'll come out, I think. And, and then in kind of, um, I guess our mentorship kind of roles and programs, we're asking people like, where do you want to go? What do you want to be making in a year? What do you want to be making in three years? And just find out if they have goals around that. Cause I don't think everyone does, but the ones that do, they probably only share it with their spouse and that's it. Never with their boss. And I had those, I had the number in my head when I worked at home advisor, never felt comfortable enough to say it because my boss there kept saying money's the wrong carrot to chase like that. That's the wrong thing. Cause it's never going to be enough and to a degree. That's true. <laughs> right. Uh, how, cause it's probably different for you because contractor life, freelancing, very different than here's a fixed salary. Take your cost of living raise every year. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, to connect because I would just raise my rate as you know, I felt like I got better and then that's what I would put out there. And if people said no, or tried to negotiate it, I would say, Oh, well, maybe it's worth negotiating for this project. Cause it sounds cool. That's a very different world. I think Yeah. Um, now the way I think about it as a boss and employer is like, all right, is it going to be a distraction for people? If anybody feels any negative sentiment, like oh, I'm not valued enough. That's something that gnaws away at people from the inside and has them start to like glance at those job ads, has them start to think about, oh, what would it be like if I was somewhere else? And so, you know, when you read about Netflix and like, oh yeah, we pay top of market. That sounds great when you're, you know, a billion dollar company. Do we pay top of market? I don't know. I think that we pay competitively. I think that we pay well and we've had people negotiate salaries and we say, okay, I see what you're bringing. And that creates a certain sense of like, accountability. If you're saying you're going to do all these things and that's why you're worth this much, then it gets into how do we make sure that real business value is coming out of your efforts? Let's set goals. Let's set benchmarks. This is where the company needs to be. This is what, you know, will get us there. But yeah, having that talk so important. Yeah. I think of it as parenting, like where it's like, you can't just buy your kid all the toys uh, to show them love. It's like, you got to, you want to do that. Yeah. But then you also got to spend time with them and teach them a few things and listen to them and be there when they're hurt. That's what home advisor was. And I thought there was a good mix there because I, I felt disgruntled with the money, but I didn't think about it as much because the culture and the team, I had friends on the floor next to me that I played ping pong with every day. I was learning new things. So it's like, an old mentor told me like, take a job to either learn or earn, like know what you're doing in a job. Like, are you in a job to just purely soak up knowledge or are you in a job? Cause you're going to hate it and probably just make good money, but just know the game you're playing. So to me, I think the, all the intangibles matter and they can't, they can't fully replace a shit salary or if someone that's making, you know, 20 K, but I think the five, 10, 20, it can, I think it can make ground there because I did get sucked into the vision a little bit at home advisor towards the end of my tenure there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I would take less hourly rates for certain projects because they sounded cool. They were working with cool people. And then there was projects that I took and I was just like, Hey, like this is kind of boring. So I'm just going to throw out like a really high hourly rate. And I think it's kind of comparable, right? Yeah. For employees, they're weighing all the factors they're weighing culture, feeling vibe with everybody else on the team. Are they going to have fun? Are they going to laugh at work? Are they buying into the future vision and money, which is a very real thing. Um, and, and the hard thing right now is when we're seeing like inflationary pressures on so many things, 
like rent for many people in the nation has gone up. We're seeing, um, you know, like everything really is going up because the shortages that some people say are short term. Other people say, hey, this is here to stay. The dollar is just worth less than it used to be. That's what I'm struggling with the most as an employer is, oh, do we bump up salaries on this potentially short term inflationary bubble as a because it's a COVID rebound? Or do we say, hey, like we're not going to knee jerk react here and suddenly raise everybody's salaries by 10 percent because then when costs go back down, if they go back down, then we're like, ah, shit, what do we do here? Um, And at the end of the day, we're looking at all these numbers, right? We're looking at our revenue. We're looking at our competitive landscape of, oh, we have competitors that are going to free. Does that mean we can anticipate lower margins or lower revenue in the future? We're trying to balance risk and reward. I think it's, um, it's easy for employees to just do the math and be like, wait, aren't you guys making like, 6 million a year. And I'm trying to do the math and it doesn't seem like you're paying out 6 million a year. And it's like, well, that's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The existential threats, black swan events, the economic environment wipes out companies every year. So many companies or basically draws them down to making zero or, you know, negative profitability. So it's like, that's our job to steer the ship. And so for anyone that wants to get into it. Yeah, we could have those talks, but it's a, it is a tough thing. Cause it's like, not every person is maybe even ready to like understand or comprehend all of these factors without yeah. getting into your numbers and your books and all that. And I think the biggest like lesson for me is that turnover isn't bad. It's it, it is what it is, right? Like you have to find the right fit for the people on the team. And for some, their expectations may be out of whack. Maybe they've chosen to live on the beaches of, of LA and they just need this really high pay. And you're like, that's not my responsibility. It's not my choice. And so you just can't afford to pay that when you can pay somebody else half of what they're asking to do the same job, maybe even better because they've chosen to live in a lower cost of living city. Um, yeah, there's people at different stages of life. Do they have a lot of money and savings? And so they can say like, oh yeah, I'm willing to just grind it out and work hard for equity profit sharing because I know where this thing is headed and I'm making a long-term play in my life versus somebody that's like, yeah, I just, I feel behind on my bills. I'm trying to pay off student loans and I need a lot of money now. All of those things are not our responsibility. All we can say is here's the business value that this position brings. If you succeed in it, this is the bumps that we can see. If you do really well and become a leader or director of something, this is the profit sharing that you can be eligible for the equity you can be eligible for. And if not, that's okay. Somewhere else might be a better fit for you. And so it's walking this fine line of you don't want too much turnover because it's very disruptive to your business. It's very disruptive to schedules. Hiring is just grueling sometimes if you're just constantly trying to fill slots. And not it's not a good fit for everybody, right? Yep. This is the thing I didn't think about or realize till now is that kind of the COVID boomerang cycle of like hiring during COVID you're, you're getting people that needed a job. You're getting people that just got laid off that just need shelter. Hmm. And you can't tease that out when everyone's putting their best foot forward and everyone's acting like they buy in the vision. And then a year later, now that more people are hiring again, I think there, I, I theorize that there's lots of turnover happening because there's people that sought out short-term shelter. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't fault anybody for, you know, not saying, 
yeah, I'm just looking for something to get by right now. <laughs> no one's going to hire. Yeah, no one's like, going to hire. Yeah, that's not something that one would say if you want the job. And But yeah, that's kind of the nature of it. People are looking for work. They took stuff that maybe they didn't really want, but they put on the good face. Yeah, I'd be curious how many people now are back to shopping around their resume, yep. trying to get a better fit role. Interesting times. How does this make you think about hiring differently now? Hmm. The, the boomerang effect or more that we've experienced turnover and uh, we're seeing, you know, chairs shifting around on the, on the deck. So it's like, how do you view? Yeah. The frequency and maybe the numbers and all that. I know on the engineering side, you know, we've kind of embraced a strategy of saying, Hey, let's, let's look at Latin America for talent. Because when we were looking at the cost like the the salaries that us based engineers wanted they seemed outlandish compared to what we were used to paying over the last few years yep. and i don't know if that's because of the covid effect and remote or or what inflationary pressures and so i know that we've been looking at talent in latin america which feels like a great deal for us it feels like they're getting paid a lot comparative to working in their local economy and we're finding just like a lot of really driven hungry people that i'm very excited to see that strategy play out and we've also decided to hire a lot more senior level engineers because, you know, we've, we've had junior engineers. It seems like the costs were just too great. It felt like a lot of time was spent like training, teaching, investing in them for the long term. And then they didn't stick around for the long term. And so that's something that feels to me like what big companies should do. Now I'm more of an advocate uh, as a small company to say, let's hire senior folks. Now, when it comes to the rest of the team, gosh, that's a, that's a work in progress. We're not quite sure. Maybe you can shed some light on like how you're thinking about like the client success team in particular, where we've seen some recent turnover. Yeah. And junior devs always want too much money. Cause I feel like coming out of these schools that, yeah, they gas them up and they tell them, yeah, oh, six yeah. figures out the gate and you don't have any, you haven't built shit, you know, besides oh. a little, a little project in school. Not only can they not build stuff, but they're like a liability. They build stuff poorly, which leads to issues that <laughs> like you're, you're on fucking for months or years after yeah. they didn't realize that like, they just didn't have, they didn't know what they didn't know. Can't fault them for it. And yeah, because of the boot camps churning them out, gosh, it's yeah. It's a tough thing to, to be fresh out of a boot camp. And how do you distinguish yourself? Ugh. Yeah. But yeah. It's something that like as a small company, I don't want to keep taking that kind of risk. No. On the client success and sales side, it's, it's easy to say this now that we have the, the, the margins to do it, but over hiring, hiring, you know, taking what you think you need to hire and doubling it. Yes. Um, we, of course, when you're, you know, on a shoestring budget, you know, it's easier said than done, but if you're growing, I think if you're growing and trending in the right direction and your numbers, you know, you can forecast out a month, it, it may behoove you, especially if you're paying under market rates and your culture is still forming and you know, the field, it's not just like this system that they get into and feel great. It makes sense to double up because you're going to lose a quarter. We used to hire when we were experiencing so much pain that we just had to hire. <laughs> and then it would take a few months for somebody to actually alleviate the pain so basically our first few years was just constant pain of being short staffed. Right. <laughs> um, recently, like in the last year, we we're like, oh yeah, let's, let's hire a, a little bit before we hit that pain point. And so it felt like almost just in time, but then when you start throwing in turnover, okay, you're back to constant pain, constant short staffing. And so now it feels great to say, 
what size team will we need in six months? Let's hire for that. Maybe plus a little wiggle room because we're just going to anticipate one or two people won't, won't stick around, whether for reasons of bad fit or they just don't have what we thought we saw in them. Let's just know that that's going to happen and plan for that. And so that way, yeah, it, it costs a little bit more in the short term, but in the long run, we're not going to be stressing out our team by always being short staffed. Yeah. Especially at the entry level jobs. I think you, you're going to have more people take the short term uh, bump because it means a lot to their bottom line, which makes sense. Uh, maybe financially aren't as well off as engineers. So you're going to get those dynamics that you have to plan for and create culture around too. I think there's a reason why the sales floor at home advisor was so fun and they had all kinds of contests and it is so many feel goods because sometimes that does replace some dollars in the bank where it's like, you just love showing up to work every day. Cause you love the people you're around. That's certainly worth something. Yeah. Um, what else, what else do you got? Any other thoughts on, on, on turnover, hiring comp- the competitive landscape? I feel like you, you touched on that. And I think big tech, I think puts pressure on everyone else downstream. Yeah. It, you know, there's obviously it, it's impossible probably for a bootstrap SaaS to compete with like San Francisco salaries, right? Just it would be almost financial suicide if you're trying to bootstrap um, to try and do that, right? That's that's a different world, the funded startup world. And so I think that there's um, a certain mentality that you're looking for when you're a bootstrap SaaS company. And it's like, you know, I used to joke that we're just like this ragtag band of misfits that, are, you know, like former entrepreneurs, people that are hungry and need that opportunity to shine, um, people that have maybe less than linear resumes, and, and we've had really great successes. We've had like our, one of our top sales guys was selling gym memberships before he worked for us. And now he's selling SAS, like, like it's nobody's business. And that's fantastic. Right. We've had, um, you know, like former professional athletes come and work for us and do well in certain roles. We've had, um, people that used to be entrepreneurs trying to start their own SAS and learning a lot of lessons, getting a lot of great experience. SAS didn't get off the ground as much as they wanted. And so then they were like, okay, now I'm looking for a job. And that kind of scrappiness and hunger has translated into very high performing individuals within this context. And, um, you know, then of course we work out the incentivizations of profit sharing and stuff like that. So they also feel that upside potential that they had when they're an entrepreneur. Um, Well, you know, saying, yeah, we can't pay you, but, you know, could you get a job at Microsoft or Google? Maybe, maybe not, but we can't pay you what they could if you were, but here's a different path and maybe it's more fun. Maybe it's more like what you've been after. So I don't know. I, what do you think about the mentality of the kind of people that we look for? Yeah. You've you've, you've referenced David versus Goliath and kind of the people that like to rally around kind of a, an underdog story or uh, people, like you said, that have had to work really hard at something for maybe not the payoff at the end, an unknown payoff. Like we just hired a professional like ballet dancer who was like ranked fifth in the world when she was 13. Like we just hired her yesterday. And that's, that kind of story is just like, Oh my God, you probably know how to work really hard. Um, and I asked her, I was like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And I think she was like, probably getting yelled at by a Russian ballet teacher when I was 13, like every day that I wasn't doing this thing, you know, this particular <laughs> spin or move well enough. And I was like, whoa, we're not going to be like that. <laughs> we're not going to be gonna, that hard. <laughs> we're going to be so gentle compared to that. <laughs> um, 
but, but yeah, I, and but then you also have to make sure not to get people that are um, so like disenfranchised with like big tech companies either, because then it's like, what if we become a medium-sized tech company? Are they going to just think we're part of the establishment and we're terrible and evil? You know, it's like that fine line of people that are ambitious, that see the big picture, but they want to they want to get on a rocket ship that's that has a chance of really taking off. Yeah, yeah, because I think when you when you think about big tech, when you think about corporate life, it's slower paced. It's not going to be that rocket ship trajectory. You have to grind, you know, maybe for years to get noticed. A lot of it's politicking. I was yep. just reading a thread on Reddit this morning of how like, ah, like people that are at senior or above levels or director levels trying to get to like VP spots at any of the big tech companies spend like 50% of their time just networking, which sounds like, uh, what a, what a way to spend your time just so you can get that next promotion. It's a different mentality. And for some, that is the path and that's totally fine. I think you have to find the people at a small, like at a bootstrap SAS, you have to find the people that aren't, they want to do, they want to get results. They want to build shit. They want to move fast and they want to see stuff happen quickly. And that's fun for them. That lights them up. That, that gives them like this fire and that is better than salary for them. They, cause yeah, could a, you know, a good engineer make 300 K at big tech. Sure. But it's a very different experience. Very different experience. Yep. Uh, well, cool. That's all I got for today, man. I think we, I think we kind of covered where we're at and how we're feeling about current events. Yeah. I like it. All right, cool. Good stuff. We'll see everybody next week. Right on. Later.